I bowled the quickest in 2000. Um, so I put on massive amounts of speed in two years. I put over 10 miles per hour in two years. And that is, that's ridiculous. That is a massive amount of speed, which is not normal. That's, that's doesn't happen, but it happened because I didn't, I ne I hadn't done a lot of weight training before. So I got to 24 years of age and I did weight training and that stimulus, you know, then made me bang, poof, push up. I pushed the ceiling, you know, I, and it gave me an immediate burst. But then I plateaued because I was strong enough. But due to the impact that, that initial strength had, I wrongly assumed that more was better, but it's not. But then I went down the route of weighted ball bowling and... Uh... Welcome to the Platform to Perform podcast, the podcast for coaches, athletes, and anyone looking to perform at their highest level. If performance is your goal, we aim to provide you with the platform to perform. I'm your host as always, Todd Davidson, and on episode 43 of the Platform to Perform podcast, I spoke with fast bowling performance specialist and the creator of Pace Lab, Stefan Jones. In today's podcast, we discussed the intriguing and at times conflicting role of strength training on fast bowling performance, Stefan Jones's classification system of different types of fast bowler and how this impacts their strength and conditioning program, and finally, how to know what types of training to apply to the fast bowler when and in what kind of doses. Thank you very much for listening and I'll catch you again on the other side. How do you see cricket from a needs analysis perspective as both a technical coach and as a strength and conditioning coach? Well, I think the first thing um, as the listeners who are players or coaches or P teachers or whatever, is that you need the understanding of all, all aspects of performance to truly have an impact. And that is James Smith's governing dynamics of coaching. So I'm not saying you need a PhD in everything, but ideally that'd be great. <laughs> you need the understanding of S&C, of technical, tactic, tactical and mental awareness to have an impact because one might have a positive or a negative effect on the other. So, and then for me as a needs analysis for a fast bowler, it's having that knowledge, having that library of tools, a toolbox, to identify the limiting factors in that one person in front of me. And then that would then, and then you need to understand the difference between style and technique. Technique is the attractors and the fixed skill, or whether that's just a different style. You know, is it a Malinga or, or Sean Tate? Or everyone has a different style, but their technique, you know, is pretty stable across the board with the top level performance. And then you design them, what's the limiting factor? Uh, is it is it physical? Is it tactical? Or is it technical? Or again, is it is it mental? And then you come up with a plan, but it always has to be based on profiling. You, you assess, don't guess. You have to profile your fast bowlers to know what's needed. Otherwise, you're just copying a program from somewhere else or a sport from somewhere else that. You know, because S&C is in cricket, performance training in cricket, fast bowling is very young. So a lot of it is very NFL, very rugby based, very power cleans, very deadlift, very clean, clean grip, grip deadlift and, and all that stuff. And actually, 
fast bowling is 80% speed and only 20% strength, in my opinion, because the, the, the load that you're trying to propel is only 156 grams. So it doesn't matter how much you can bench press, that's not going to have an impact. And why I can say that is because there's, <laughs> I'm a strong man. I'm not sure there's anyone going to be as strong as I was because, and I'm, and I'm not saying that flippantly, but, you know, when I used to do fitness tests, I used to warm up with other people's maxes because I thought that strength was really king and queen for fast bowling. So I went down that rabbit hole. You know, I could bench press 150 kilograms. When my, te- when my fitness test for Derby, my last, last year for Derby at the age of 39, I did three rep pull-ups with 70 kilograms hanging from my waist. And that's why I can say these things because I've done it. And the people who listen to me talk and would be my coaches or my players who I played with and go, yeah, he was ridiculously strong. But then that didn't help me. It helped me initially. But then after that, it just built a barrier. I I increased the, uh, you know, my dynamic strength index, the amount of strength I had, I wasn't able to use. But I didn't have the knowledge I have now, otherwise I would have trained differently. And it's interesting because there's a a quote that you kind of alluded to in our previous podcast and an upcoming guest I've got in Vern Gambetta talks about strength training being seductive. And it's funny how as strength and conditioning coaches, and I've certainly fallen into this trap as well, where you're like, well, I've got the performance metrics that say that he's improving and you just blindly assume that that same dose or the yeah, same ingredients in the training program will always produce the same uh, outcome. Do you have any, I mean, I know we love this question and be it to death as S&C coaches, but in your experience with fast bowlers, have you found any sort of um, trade-off points where once you start to get beyond a certain strength level that there's really no point pushing that ceiling? Because a 3M pull up at 70 kilos body weight that's that's serious yeah that was that was um i do think the pulling the lats are really important for for fast bowling mainly for golgi tendon organ desensitizing to posterior chain you need because that's eccentric posterior is eccentric loading when you're bowling and that can be strong but again it is but the, the issue is um i'll come back to your question in a minute Getting stronger, it, it, it doesn't matter. It's not going to do you any harm. Let, let's start with that now. It's not going to do you any harm to be really strong. But what it does do, it takes time away from something that could have been getting you better. So, and I think more strength and conditioning programs these days are just masking over poor technique. They're just making the the technique of fast bowling, the poor technique, more stable. That's what they're doing. Because technique underpins everything. If you've got leakage in the chain, it doesn't matter how, how strong you are in the squat. If you're not separating your hips and shoulders and due to over squatting and overloading the heel, you know, the heel rocker, then it means that I'm really heavy on back foot contact and then that means I can't get extended force closure and swing retraction on my front leg, which helps me brace the front leg, which is, you know, 
a key indicator. It's my specific one of my specific descriptors. So it's understanding actually what what we're trying to achieve and what negative consequences. So I don't have a benchmark to your question. I don't have a benchmark where I go, he's strong enough. Okay, or she's strong enough. We go, we move on. It's just the understanding of the requirements, how they bowl, how they bowl, are they hip or knee dominant? Are they tendon, fascia driven, or are they muscle driven? You know, I was well, I wasn't really. I was actually hip dominant and very uh, type 1B neurotype, a very fascia tendon driven. But actually, I, I, I incorrectly assumed that more muscle for me would help me bowl quicker. But actually, if I look back at it, I bowled the quickest in 2000. Um, so I put on massive amounts of speed in two years. I put over 10 miles per hour in two years. And that is, that's ridiculous. That is a massive amount of speed, which is not normal. That that's, doesn't happen. But it happened because I didn't, I, ne- I hadn't done a lot of weight training before. So I got to 24 years of age and I did weight training. And that stimulus, you know, then made me bang, poof, push up. I pushed the ceiling, you know, and it gave me an immediate burst. But then I plateaued because I was strong enough. But due to the impact that that initial strength had, I wrongly assumed that more was better. But it's not. But then I went down the route of weighted ball bowling and uh, just SAQ stuff. You know, uh, I did lots of ladders. They get a lot of criticism, but it's a tool. It helps you, it helps you warm up. I, I don't get that. <laughs> it's, it's funny. The S&C world on Twitter is a funny. It's a lot of whinging and complaining at the minute. Just, just stay in your lane and do your job. Don't worry what anyone else is doing. I find it really bizarre. And then I did lots of sprinting. And that pushed me up as well. So it's it's putting the right dose stimulus in at key stages of a, a bowler's development. If we're going in these academies, putting everything in early doors, or, or without worrying about technique, putting early in the academy structure, where do they go then? When they can't add ball velocity, where, where, where do we go now? Because we've done everything. So that, that is a really important understanding that bowlers, each individual bowler is different and we need the right dose at the right stage of the development. You know, a bowler I had here, Wade, I keep telling, I keep, keep coming up on the podcast. I hope he's all right with it. Um, he weighed 58 kilograms, man. He couldn't bench press 20 kilograms and couldn't squat 50 kilograms. So clearly... He needed a bit of strength, but a general strength um, for robustness, for structural integrity, just for um, just to become a better athlete, physical literacy, athletic development. And then, but he still bowled 80 miles per hour, which is a rapid at a schoolboy level. And I looked at him, I went, okay. This, uh, am I going down the wrong route here with my training? And this was four years ago, which led me down to this rabbit hole of hip and knee. And then because I was comparing him with some other bowler who did was proper athlete, that was like squatting millions, I wasn't getting any quicker. 
but then I introduced some strength to him. He improved, did lots of isometric work, tendon stiffness, and he left bowling 85 miles per hour. As an 18, 19 year old boy, that is rapid. And on my speed gun, you know, on my speed gun, you know, Joffre, Varon, Sean Tate, Stuart Broad have all have been around that mark. So this kid was rapid. If I'd have gone down the route of cleaning him, squatting, bench pressing him, then I'd have probably have done him more harm than good. In, I've just jotted a couple of things down, uh, listening to you sort of there, uh, just to see if my interpretation is uh, how you intended it. Um, when you said about making a, too much strength training, the wrong stage of development might make a poor technique more stable. Uh, yeah. Is that under the, when you said about the um, lats and desensitizing the Golgi yeah. tendon organ, is, if I'm interpreting it correctly, they were almost strong enough to tolerate a poor technique, but otherwise might have broken down if they didn't have that strength yeah. background? Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So that, that's what I mean, because the stresses that are involved in fast bowling, you know, nine times body weight on front foot, four or five on the back foot, that's ridiculous. And nothing we can do in the gym is ever going to uh, replicate that. So they need to be athletes. But if, you know, for a door, I'm looking at a door here now. And if, the tech, if that hinge on that door is always going wrong way, it doesn't matter what I do with that door. I can change that door, but that hinge will always break at that place. And that is that hinge is the technique. But what that door, we might just make that door a bit stronger around that hinge or whatever. It'll take longer for it to break down. But in, in, um, in a variable environment like cricket, fast bowling, when fatigue, when pressure, when stress, that technique will break down. So that's why younger age, younger bowlers, technique, technique and speed, bowl a lighter ball over speed, you know, and then as they get older, then you introduce some strength work to it. But technique, we can't confuse the system, no neuro confusion. We're trying to teach a power clean while trying to tra train um, a heel contact uh, on front foot and ball of foot on back foot with rotation, uh, but a power clean, we're teaching a totally different intra and intermuscular coordination. And that's, you know, that's what, what I say. When you're trying to, trying to focus on a technique of fast bowling, nothing else should confuse it. General strength, you know, general strength, do athletic development. And then, when the technique, that motor engram, that pattern is happy, you're hitting the attractors, then you can introduce your fandango cleans if you want to, if that's what you want to do. I don't Olympic lift, but don't do it early. Don't put everything early doors and hope, hopefully something will stick. It's, it's interesting because what I really like about your work is it really challenges uh, not just what, I, what some people might refer to as conventional wisdom, but it challenges a lot of things where, as we said on the P version of this podcast, one person said it, five people believed it, and then it keeps going like that. So the, the first thing you've said uh, in when I was um, preparing for the podcast this morning is about your opinion of the traditional model of strength and conditioning, whereby you would start more general, so it looks less like the sport. And then as you get nearer to competition, it looks more like the sport. 
I absolutely loved your your take on that or your critique of that because I've never thought about it in this way. So if you know what post I'm referring to, if you could uh, yeah, I did. elaborate I did. on that. Yeah, that was about two, I've got my phone here. It was about last week, wasn't it? Whereas, uh, yeah, I've got it here now. So is it that one? Can you see uh, that? No, it's not. It's um... that, that one is the same principle and that title and that one is don't just, don't just follow the norm, speed first. So I think, you know, Charlie Francis was big on this as well. Um, give me someone fast and I will make them stronger. It'd be easier to make them stronger. It'll be harder to turn someone strong faster. So speed should underpin strength. So that this, the potentiation benefit of moving quicker on training speed will have a positive uh, effect on lifting weights and strength. So that's why in a winter, well, what, and I didn't, I, I didn't, think about it this way really but I don't know whose work it was I, I read every day I try and read something different every day and then I put it out there so people can <laughs> just critique it or whatever so when we finish in the off season for cricket what do we do we um, do general we do squats deadlift uh, cleans if you want go deadlift and then we move to again if you're doing cleans do a clean so at strength speed speed strength then we move to a bit of plyometric, bit of overloaded sprints, bit of bowling. Then we bowl at, at the at the end. So, what that that what this model suggests is, and then we can't obviously do strength, and you lose strength in uh, in about twenty odd days to new. So we can't have strength when we're bowling because that is neuroconfusion. It's just the sequencing. It just confuses everything and you're going to have soreness in some parts and you know body's a protective organism so it's not going to go where the where it's sore you know if you've got doms in your quads from that squat you're not going to be using that front leg bracing it with all that force coming down so why not do it the other way technique so let's go technique at the end of the season sit down at the end of the year and go what was the problem bang bang actually i can't brace my front leg until i brace my front leg um, I'm never ever going to bowl quicker because ultimately um, it is about the one KPI you should have is the speed gun. Everything I do has a speed gun. That is your one KPI, your true performance indicator, which which identifies a lot of thing with the neural efficiency and everything. So I'm never going to push that number up until I improve my brace front leg. Okay, well, let's do that now. You've only just finished bowling actually a week ago, but let's, overload it let's slow it down let's manipulate the time under tension let's create feel let's wear exigent suit you know let's do some fatigue learning let's pre-fatigued let's pre-fatigue your vmo and your hamstrings and then hold that position in the skill stability okay so you're going to do skill stability stage one static holds bracing the front leg but in that time as well we're going to do a general side of it, we're going to move quicker. So we're going to have a static, this is the post you're on about, isn't it? We're going to have a static technical hold, low, low intensity, skill stability stage one, but actually I, I want to move quicker. So I'm going to do sprints. I'm going to do some extensive jumps. 
I'm going to do some pogo jumps because that's going to improve me get off back foot contact. But it's still a longer contact than what I did two weeks ago bowling. So it's actually, you're not overloading that. It's a different aspect of the force velocity curve. So let's do that. And then closer to the season, let's get your squats and your deadlifts or whatever, the heavy general stuff in because we've now swapped around. Your nothing we can do in the gym is ever going to replicate what we do in bowling. And I'm bowling now because I'm in pre-season. I'm in twice a day with my team. I'm in twice a day with my whatever. So I'm speed. So what am I not doing there? I'm not doing general strength. Well, let's do it. And let's do it in the way that potentiates my bowling. So it's a totally <laughs> a different way of thinking. But I, I, I believe that is right way you, you, you know I've never understood why why cricketers would stop bowling for four months and just get strong and then expect that to transfer to your fast bowling a month before season it's like come on if we think about these things logically that's not going to happen so that that's why it's you've got to keep bowling you know you wouldn't get a sprinter not running you wouldn't get a cyclist not cycling in off season so why are we stopping bowling? I get it's stressful. Well, let's design drills that make it less stress, less stressful. The skill stability model. Yeah, and in fact, just listening to what you say there, I'm reminded of, and this is the thing, when you work with professional sport, every now and then you'll have some someone come up who's an anomaly, I can never say the word, an anomaly, who yeah. Flies against what you've been told. Now we had a, a couple of bowlers at a cricket club that I published my masters with. We had one guy who, again, similar to um, people you've mentioned, he was athletically the worst fast bowler they had. Like terrible shoulder range of motion, probably the weakest guy, the least fit, and somehow was never on the physio table. Bowled all year round. We had another guy, supreme athlete, consummate professional, was always looking for ways to improve his performance. I remember having detailed discussions with him on uh, Kelly Starr at Supple Leopard, and yeah. he was talking about maybe going into strength and conditioning after his career, and yet would always get injured. And you're like, but you're the fast guy. You're the athlete. You're the guy who, and I, at the time, I had several theories around why that is. But again, listening to what you're saying there, one guy who hated the gym, he's like, no, nah, I, I just bought. And like, as an SNC coach, you're like, you must be wrong. But he wasn't. Yeah, there's two things there. And again, it's only recent couple of years when I, I've sort of got this understanding. Firstly, it's about removing muscle slack. So that, that athlete, that athlete, that super athlete you're on about is probably awesome in the gym, but the barbell is taking the slack out for him. So putting the weight on his shoulders immediately removes the muscle slack. But that doesn't happen in fast bowling. You need to find a way of removing the slack and create the tension pre-skill pre sort of completion. So before, force, uh, before you hit ground contact, you need to move, remove the slack. And then you need to have the ability then to relax. So the best bowlers in the world are the one that pretense and relax at the right time. Otherwise, you know, reciprocal inhibition, if, you're, um, if one side is uh, tense... The other side needs to be relaxed. But if you keep doing weight training, holding on to that tension, teaching the body to hold on to tension, to grind, 
the body's never going to know, know how to firstly remove muscle slack naturally and secondly to relax at the right point that is that is a big thing uh, and secondly is that Davis's law of the fascia uh, sports is about fascia it's about understanding the slings the oblique slings the fascia system and it's it's a case around the body or we're all fascia and it's all interlinked so training one aspect of your action is going to have a positive or negative effect on another part you know if i if i want to create tension here bang i need to create create tension in the in the left hip here for that oblique sling but i'm not going to create tension if i haven't got swing leg retraction because i'm too heavy on back foot contact so it doesn't give me time to set up that's why it's all interlinked but with the fascia davis's law so you deposit whenever you're doing anything stressful a heavy bench proper eccentric loading or heavy squat it deposits collagen because it's live fascia's like deposits collagen and the more you do of that same movement you're going to develop stress lines and that that gives you your technique that develops the technique so that kid who's just bold his stress line were his bowling. That's the only stress lines he's had. And the bowling, which is faster than anything we can do in the gym. Um, the ground contact times are faster than anything we can do in the gym. The rotational speeds, the arm speed. So he's developed those stress lines specific to, funnily enough, what he's trying to do. Fast bowling. But the other guy, stress lines was a squat, was a clean. And then now and again, he'll try and bowl and the body and the fascia system's going, what? What was this? Well, well, I know I come here now and again, but actually I'm not built for this. Uh, I, the stress lines are conflicting to what you're trying to ask me to do. Yeah. And that's where you get muscle tears and tendon strains. And it's, it's, it's a different way of thinking at it, but it's about coming in from different perspectives man yeah and again it makes me think back to our uh, PE podcast uh one of my favorite quotes i wish i could remember whose uh whose quote it is but it's like the sign of a genius is someone who can hold two conflicting thoughts in their head um and still you know deal with it so on one hand i'm thinking he's a fast bowler he should be fast bowling and it makes perfect sense why this fast bowler would be like no i'm going to stay away from the gym but then with my snc hat on I'm like, oh yeah, but we need to improve strength. We need to improve robustness. And it's not that, again, like with the, like with the P chat, it's not about here's your gym training, here's your fast bowling training. It's not right. We need enough of each at the right time. It's not that all we do is gym, all we do is fast bowling. It's, it's not one size fits all. So you might have someone who does live in the gym, who, who, who will, that is his limiting factor he or she has already got speed. They've got the arm speed above like 800 RPMs. They've got that. So there's no point in me trying to bowl more or, you know, their, their speed barrier, they've hit their speed barrier. So how, how you need to remove someone uh, from their skill if they've hit their speed barrier. So I would take this person and go, right, we're going to hit the gym for four weeks. The only bowling you're going to do is maybe a bit of kneeling constraints, weighted ball bowling, but we're going to improve the lifts. And then you've got someone then in the gym who can squat the world, press the world, and is actually not bowling faster. Where you go, okay, 
you're out of the gym. You're not, we're locking it. You're not coming anywhere near it. You're going to bowl. You're going to bowl with the, but you're going to do overspeed, you know, overspeed assisted work teaches the vestibular system that it's okay to go quicker. That, it, that it's, and the only way you can do that is overspeed training. So pulling the bungee cord, pull them through. So you're getting them faster off back foot, more force onto front foot contact. And, and the vestibular system has to adapt then and to go, oh, okay. Because at the minute, you're, you have limiters. The body is a protective organism. And you're not going to remove these limiters until you do the skill different than what you do in the game. And that's where people, and the gym work will not do that. Gym work will improve you as an athlete. And it's really important. Gym work is really important. And young athletes, young fast bowlers, you need to get in the gym. But don't make it the event. Don't make it that your sport. Okay, and that is the problem. And that's what I call the gym whiteboard syndrome. Where just because you've improved, you're now bench, you're now squatting two times your body weight, bench pressing, bench bench pressing two times your body weight. Actually, does that transfer to fast bowling? And that's the ultimate. Uh, the ultimate question is what I'm about to do now. Does that transfer? What's the transfer of training? And that's why Bondichuk is his system is is outstanding for fast bowling because you can just break it down. Break it down. You know, you've got that pyramid, general, specific prep, specific development, competitive exercise, which is your skill at the top. Actually, some somebody, some younger training age might need to swap that upside down. Sorry. <laughs> um, might need to swap it upside down. So that would be a, a higher training age, which is more competitive exercise and less general. But then your younger training age would be loads of time at general and then but you'll always do bowls every session i do you've always got a bowl whether that is a part so uh, that's what verkashansky stated didn't he with uh, with special strength specific special strength are both the same thing you've either got to do the skill in part or you've either or you do the skill as a whole but in different conditions, either underloaded or overloaded. So every time you have to do the skill, otherwise you're not going to have transfer. And that smaller the transfer window, the more chance it has of going into the skill. And ultimately, speed gun. The speed gun, I see so many bowling coaches without a speed gun, whether that's pocket radar or a stalker. How do you know it's working? You know, and, 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 and they go, well, it's not all about fast bowling. Actually, cricket, here's one for you, I thought this this morning. Bowling is the only sport, really, as a, posi- as a position specific that you can get away with, not, with no speed. You can get away with bowling. You can make a career out of 75 miles per hour. You can make it because... It relies on accuracy and skill and tactical awareness. But in pitching, if you're a 80 miles, 70 miles per hour pitcher, you haven't got a career. But in fast, but in county cricket, fast bowling, you can have you can have a career, which makes it a unique beast to train for, really, because you know fits law that when you try when you're trying to do something flat out and accurate, it's not going to happen. You know, there's always a trade-off, and that fits law. It states there's always a trade-off between accuracy and velocity. 
that's why when you when you train velocity, you need to take direction out of it. You need to bowl flat out into a wall, not worry about um, direction. That's the only intent is is max velocity. But the, the speed, it's about building a speed reserve as well. But Stefan, I'm not developing under much per hour. But let me let me t- ask you something, coach. Your bowler now bowls. 75 miles per hour outswing hitting the top of off all day. Awesome. What if he did that at 80 miles per hour? Then that's all I'm saying. That is better because then it's reaction time. And that's my message. Everyone can have a bigger speed reserve. So you're 100%, you're 90% this year was 100% last year. So now you can focus on technique and tactics. And uh, just, it just uh, in scrambling between the copious notes I've got in front of me, um, something I've got written down is uh, how to avoid lazy or biased strength and conditioning assumptions. So just to elaborate that on a little, a little bit more. Um, when we talked about the squatting example, you mentioned about grinding strength and you think of strength and conditioning coaches, you might say, right, I don't know, his back squat was 75, now he does 100, he is therefore stronger. And from my powerlifting background, I know when I go back into the gyms when they hopefully reopen, that yes, I'll have lost strength, but the main thing I'll have lost is the technique and skill of being able to grind out a lift. Um, so here I put the assumptions, for example, as an SSC coach, oh, well, 20 meter sprints are up, so he'll bowl faster, or plyometrics, he's got quicker ground contact time, so he'll bowl faster. Um, how would you avoid those lazy assumptions as a coach? And that, uh, yeah, they are they are lazy assumptions, but not through um, sort of conscious, not not on purpose. I yeah. think, and, and until because they're doing the jobs, you know, they're doing the jobs. Their their job is to uh, build them as athletes. So, and their key performance indicator is the whiteboard. That that is what the head coach or whatever will have a look at. So how what, what's your um, program like? Is it working? Well, yeah, they your your last year they were nineteen, and this year they've done twenty two or whatever it is. I don't even know what they are now. So I've done my job. I've improved. So until until athletes, fast bowlers, um, programs are judged on match day performance, the SSC has no. Um, no requirement to change and so uh, until for me if i'm a head coach i'm coming to you and going you've spent 22 weeks with um with john uh and his numbers are awesome but he's uh, he's bowling the same speed as he did last year so what have you been doing with him uh, and and that is the, the that is the discussion and that it might be you know they've hit their pay ceiling that is it now, I've squeezed that sponge and there's nothing left with it. But actually, he's going to be a bit more robust. Um, we've taken him into sort of that uncomfortable zone with a squat, so he's got a bit stronger mentally, but he is what it is. Now, you might need to do your job and talk tactics and stuff about it. But and, but if, if an SNC is not judged on, like, ball velocity or hitting speed as a, as a batter or those indicators then the snc has no need 
And that's not to say they shouldn't change, because for me, you have pride in your performance. And ultimately, it's not about us as coaches. I want to see my guy bowling faster, seeing the ball whiz past again wickets. That's what I want to do. I don't care what, you know, there's some kids, some kids I've coached here who can't squat and will go to a county or an academy and will like, well, you're not doing a program, very good program. If you were at Pace Lab or Wellington School, you can't squat. You're squatting 30 kilograms. Okay, go to Nets now, boys. Off you go, go to Nets. They're bowling rockets. And I'm going, yep, because that's my KPI, mate. <laughs> that's my KPI. He's a bowler. That's his job. He's not a power lifter. We're not a Westside gym. It's like really important we begin to um, understand your role in, a, in an athlete's uh, future. And again, it's... <laughs> one of those scenarios where you try and hold two conflicting thoughts in your head. Um, so something I've put down here is um, advice for strength and conditioning coaches who, for example, like you've got a background in cricket, your understanding of the sport is excellent, as well as obviously your strength and conditioning background. Uh, so I've put advice for strength and conditioning coaches who don't have your technical know-how, but who are also perhaps wary of the whole stay in your lane type of comments, or you stick to the gym, I'll stick to yeah. my fast bowling. Te te technique, technique underpins everything. It, it really does. And uh, that's a proper poacher turned gamekeeper comment from me because when I played, I was anti-technique. You know, what are you messing around with technique for? I'm going to squat and bench and clean more. But actually, like I said earlier about the door hinge and the technique, so S&Cs need a, a basic biomechanical understanding and a basic neuromuscular understanding as well how the brain works so motor learning um neurodynamics uh, you know all the db hammer stuff the autoregulatory stuff that i'm huge on at the minute with the drop-off percentages i'm doing a test at the minute with velocity bar training where i'm benching every day because i can't squat anymore my joints are killing me <laughs> years of bowling my Achilles tendon is, is I've had a tendonitis in my Achilles tendon for 20 years I think and it went from left to right leg different years so it was like I, I was in pain on my left leg but then the next season there was my right leg and my left leg had tolerated it it was <laughs> so my body is in, in bits now so I can bench I can do upper body stuff and I'm doing a test I'm allowing myself 2% drop-off every day, and I'm trying to see if I can move the same, same weight on that bar faster every day. Um, and based on the neurodynamics and the DB Hammer system is the rule of one-thirds. So I'm allowing, I'm going to fatigue myself a uh, third of the way, so uh, four days, because I'm having 6% drop-off. Then it will take four days for me to get rebound back up to the my initial number and then another third another four days to gain i should have gained um six percent on on that lift on the bar speed and that is so it's an engineering perspective on it rule of thirds a third third of the time to apply fatigue third of the time to uh, to recover and then third of the time to supercompensate. and i'm doing that now so i'm training but that understanding of the brain, neuro, um, you know, the vestibular system, the sensory motor system, the reflexive system, um, all that is really important. Because ultimately, 
it's well vestibular system was the first system developed but it's it's underpins everything what we're doing as coaches and and the, and the strengthening is just a pimple or pimple on the ass if i'm honest it's just a small part of it there's so much more to it understanding the impact of the brain and the kinematics of everything and then you can have your different theories your dynamic systems theory and all that and that's a matter of opinion your tractors and fluctuators but brain starts with the brain and one of the uh, that's probably my favorite analogy since i've been running this podcast by the way <laughs> um, one of my uh, reading in one of your posts this morning um where you talk about uh, understanding your role as a bowler and saying for example that yes there are some bowlers who you're going to work on the pinnacle so their top end bowling speed yeah. Whereas going back to a point you made earlier, there's others where uh, you actually want to improve what you call their cruising speed. Yeah, um, nice. Do you want to right. talk about how you train those two types of bowlers differently and what the approach would be there? Yeah, definitely. Good man, good knowledge. So the pinnacle would be the top end. So uh, um, that is about uh, bringing them in. So that's your that's your rear horse, race horse. That's your striker, the enforcer. That's your Sean Tate. Um, that's your Jofra Archer when that's what I see his role as in the England team and then you've got to improve their top end speed so you allow them to bowl and depending on where you want them to train again you only allow them a certain drop off from that um, their max of the day so that's why AREG is you, you, you don't deal in percentages generically they come in the gym and their max of the day, how they feel there, where they're stressed outside or whatever, and then you work from that. So I allow him 2% drop-off in ball velocity, and I did it. You know, I did it for the Royals. They could tell you I stood there with a speed gun. They might not have known that's what I was doing, but then for the following sessions, I would go, you know, try and bowl four slow balls in the next six balls, because then... Because there's positive with a catapult data, there's a correlation between effort, ball velocity, and the uh, player load algorithm in there. And the player load is is a combination of all the stresses, all the forces, and you don't want that to be high all the time. So by bowling slower, you can run in fast, you can run in as fast as you can, but you bowl it slower. The intent is slower, and that is that gives you a player load. So I say. Do a slower ball this ball. So I know then you're managing their player load and their, their auto-regular training subconsciously. But then if you're working with a bowler who is whose role is more of a holder, is more of a workhorse, uh, someone who can bowl a, a long spell, and they need to work in their prime capacity. So their ability to maintain their 80%. So their ability to... Um, they might very well get to 83 miles per hour with a bit of bit of grunt, bit of effort, but losing losing your action and then risk goes. So your te- your your tactical, your technical uh, game is not great. So you're not going to be on for a long spell because you're bowling half folly or half traggers. So then you want that person, and that takes them a lot to get to that 83. Well, okay. Let's drop down to 80 miles per hour, but I want you to sit there all day. And that is a totally different training method 
that's how you have a training session and again it's difficult to do as a group in a team environment but it is possible you know there's no there's always a way you would tell this person to bowl you only can bowl like 80 miles per hour in a speed gun that's it or you have to get above 85 Uh, and you just talk like that but the prime bowlers would then you'd work um you'd work the max of the day always try max of the day where's your nervous system today flat out what's your effort ball okay 80 miles per hour that's your effort ball now we're going to work back we're going to subtract about three percent from that top end speed because we have we're going to bowl again in four days time for every 1.5% drop off in ball velocity requires one day recovery. So we're going to bowl again in three or four days time. So I'm only going to allow you to drop 2% from that initial 3% drop off. And that it's complicated. It sounds engineering type, but it's, that's neurodynamics and fast bowling deserves that respect. It sounds very similar to, I'm pretty sure it's Caldeeds, but uh... I heard on a podcast, um, this is going back a few years now, uh, but with his throwers and he would talk about measuring, I can't remember whether it was distance or speed. And he said, if, for example, they come in and they do a few trials and it's just not there. He said, look, there's no point. Let's go and do something aerobic. Um, Do you have any, is that kind of the method that you follow or do you just send them home? No, definitely. Uh, It's so again, um, whether you have, so you might have one bowler come in for prime, you might have one bowler coming in for uh, pinnacle, but both wanting to improve velocity. So it's a, it's a rate dominant uh, bowling session. Okay. But then if they come in and you've got the data and you've got the numbers, whether you've written them down or whether you remember them, I, I don't care. You've got, you know where they're at when they're at their peak. And then if they're a long way from that, they can't hit that, then you know they've not recovered. You know you've imparted that much fatigue in them. So, but you can bowl. We're at the nets. So you've come to the nets. I'm not going to send you away. Let's do some tempo bowling. Let's do some, let's do or do some skill stability work, or let's do some supermax grooving with a weighted ball or some kneeling constraints. Let's do something but you're not going to try and bowl flat out because your nervous system has not recovered from the last one. But actually, my other bowler, my, my, my prime guy, is fine. He's, he's what he was last time. Then you go. You go as planned, but you're, this other guy, you're going to bowl, but it's going to be tempo bowling. You're going to bowl nonstop at 70% intensity for two minutes. So you're going to bowl... You're going to jog, get the ball, come back, jog to get the ball. So we're training the aerobic system, totally opposite. Fast bowling is elactic aerobic. There's no anaerobic involved in fast bowling. And then um, we're going to go, we're going to improve the stiffness because of repetition, repetition on the ground. Um, you, can, you can manipulate the surfaces they're bowling on and they're grooving a pattern and they're also learning fatigue um, Sorry, the learning in a fatigue state, which is uh, great for fascia and tendon-driven bowlers, because the first thing that was your contractile elements. So we take that out of it. Franz Bosch is big on this as well, and then it becomes more about the fascia and the connective tissue. 
and again, just going back to Cal D again, because some of you said there, which I think a lot of coaches miss, is uh, well, firstly, when we talk about energy system and GPP, uh, I remember having a conversation with my powerlifting coach about what GPP would look like for me as a powerlifter, and he said, yes, there's general physical preparation, but he's like, there's also a danger of going so general that it's it's pointless. So I love how you do tempo bowling with your guys again. Cal Dietz with his throwers, I think I've heard him mention that conditioning for his throwers, or these are big, big guys, I think they're uh, typically shoppers, is that he'll have them do uh, 50% 1RM bench, 30 seconds later, 50% 1RM back squat, rotate for eight minutes. There's no point sending these big guys for a run, just like there's probably no point getting a fast bowler on the elliptical for half an hour. Uh, that's a thing. and I know there's a big thing about cycling, and um, there's a lot of uh, doing the ergos and a lot of bowlers go on that and treadmills and uh, you know like strength power speed uh, bio bioenergetic training also needs to be specific it, it needs to be specific to transfer we we have a great and you wouldn't mind me saying because he's probably one of the finest fast bowlers uh, in this country and andrew caddick you know he hated the gym, um, and he he wouldn't go for sprints or training or jogging. And, and he would say, he would turn up to pre-season with a little belly on him, and it was a, like, it, it was an ongoing joke. But we know, and this is no exaggeration, by the end of pre-season, he would be like a racehorse and bowling 90 miles per hour all day. I mean, all day. And I would have done body for life, Bill Phillips, I would have been on like 9% body fat, two minutes fast, one minute slow on the rower and treadmill. And I was fit, you know, I beat or I win all these fitness tests. But then I would look over and Cardiff and I'm going, he's just bowled an 18 over spell. And he's not been on any bike or a treadmill. And that like energy system work is also specific. And the old, the old coach, and then you have the old coach, you've got to bowl to get fit, or you've got the new coach, you've got to be strong, you've got to be a crossfitter. Actually, in the middle. Like common sense would say, you've got to be in the middle. You can't just not do anything and bowl, because ultimately, that you're going to get injured there somehow, because you haven't got the work capacity or the, uh, the structural integrity to cope with that forces that are going to be imparted on the body. But also, you're not going to be better bowler by just benching and squatting more. It's in the middle. Yeah, and it, that's one of the reasons why I love doing these podcasts and one of the reasons I hate putting stuff out on social media because that's probably going to be the answer for a lot of things. It is. And like I said at the start, I'm not saying my way is the right way. I'm just saying it's a different way of looking at things. It's, it's, a, it's an individualized energy engineering approach to coaching fast bowlers and I've heard uh, a lot of people uh, saying it's just big words and it's complicated and but actually if you understand the fundamental principles of it which doesn't take a lot of uh, you know reading um, it's not that complicated at all you don't flog a bowler in the net for two hours and expect them to bowl rapid in, in season you just flog them. You've asked Usain Bolt to run a marathon. Uh, and you, that's all I do is give them a number on it. You're, you've, I'm going to speed gun you. So too many coaches, I'm going to speed guns. 
I'm going to speed gun you. And as soon as you draw past that number, you're going to have one more shot at it. Otherwise, you're out. You're done. That could take 20 minutes or that could take two balls. But I know you're done. And that's not, that's not complicated, is it? <laughs> no. No. And uh, if we just go back to the, one of the interesting things I was reading in your work this week about knee and hip dominant bowlers. Um, so just a couple of questions that I've got. Um, so you say that a, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, uh, but knee dominant bowlers uh, can only use their strength when they're on the floor. So I'm guessing that they, the question relates to programming, whether you go more towards their strength than you use, for example, ballistic type work involving longer ground contact times or whether there's any, is there any point in doing some more fast contact work or physiologically are they just not built for that? Well, what I say is 70-30 split. So um, you embrace your dominance 70% of the time and then you need to strengthen the limiting factor, uh, strengthening in, not in strength terms, but you need to improve the limiting factor 30% of the time. So in a 10-day cycle, Seven days, if I'm a hip-dominant bowler, fascia-driven bowler, seven of the days, I'm bowling, sprinting, jumping, isometrics. Uh, I'm doing overcoming isometrics. I'm not doing any yielding isometrics. But then three days out of those 10, I'm going to do yielding isos. I'm going to do more force-driven jumps, so it's a longer ground contact time. And I'm going to do some heavy strength work. But again, probably going to be clusters, where I'm going to do cluster press, superset with a cluster one rep press, one rep squat, uh, and that way. So it's, again, it's specific to bowling. Clusters is really specific to bowling, especially the potentiating clusters. Um, or a knee dominant would do seven days strength and three days speed. So you've just got to identify, and it's based on observations, the angle of back leg, like the, the, the angle of the flexion on the back knee. Are you trying to create more time by bending more at the back knee because you want to access the longer stretch shortening cycle or are you collapsing because you're unable to control the collision and you're not very eccentrically strong are you unable to pivot on back foot because you're isometrically weak you spend too long in the coupling time so what we need to do and what we need to improve is isolate them so you identify you isolate, you overload, uh, you constrain and repeat. You constrain, overload and repeat. A key nodes of the bowling action, whether that's back foot or front foot. But it's all to do with how their, it's their pattern. It's their motor engram. And whether that's come from fast twitch or slow twitch dominant, you know, uh, the slower twitch type 2A, I know that's fast twitch, but more slow twitch intermediate fibers 2A actually are more knee dominant. They want more time. That's what research shows in long jump. And most of my stuff is sprints and triple jump and javelin. I'm pitching now. Um, so there's a different sports all at once. And for one skill, I'm training. And they need to bend more. Or are you a type 1 neurotype uh, type 1b very high very sensitive and acetylcholine so your stretch reflex is very efficient which means your muscles uh, never get fully stimulated because it's all tendons it's all tendons so what's so do i need to spend three of those days actually training your muscle by you bowling on a soft surface by doing some force-driven higher ground contact time because 
We need to strengthen the whole lot. We need 30% of the time, you need some muscle as a hip dominant bowler. You need structural integrity. You need to support that uh, muscular tendon unit, your junction there. You need strength there and, and integrity and stability, robustness there. So you can't just, a hip dominant bowler shouldn't just be bowling and sprinting and jumping. They have to do some strength. And it's about getting everyone into that middle of that force velocity curve good at everything and then that becomes about technique and skill level we can't we can't it can't be about the physicality of a bowler that's the limiting factor because that is that's either inadequacies for us as snc coaches or laziness for them as bowlers really that's an easy fix isn't it that physical is an easy fix having the right knowledge and the right tools and bring them into the right position and then allow their skill levels to be the deciding factor between success and failure. But that is, I came up with that hip and knee about four years ago now, when it's, I think it works. People, the old fashioned one might say it's not right, but it, I, I, I think it works. And you know, the, the fastest bowlers in the world have been the slingers, have been the ones who have lowered their arms and are more sideways on. And in the, the ideal style, not technique, they would seen as a bit, oh, that's a bit different. You know, if you watch Malinga bowl or Malinga bowl like he did because he wanted a bowl on a skiddy surface as the tide came out, he wanted, and he found the lower in his arm helped it skid. So his environment constraint then meant that he, the more he bowled at that, the fascia, the Davis, the Davis's law and the, and the stress lines created that, Technique, that style, not technique, that style. But the fastest have been slingers because force is plane specific. So with rotation, is one for you. As a side-on base rotation, so it's plane specific. We're telling bowlers to put their arms up higher. Well, that is that that rotational power has no impact then on this release up here. We need to lower the arm. But if you want to be an over-the-top bowler, straight up, then you need to be just turn your back foot round and make it less about rotation, more, more about linear momentum, less, less about angular, more about linear. So it's all joined up thinking. So if you're going to turn someone linear, hip dominant, then spend less time in the gym and squat is not going to improve it because I'm off my back foot in 0.12 seconds. You know, the fastest squat we're going to be able to do is like on a speed dynamic day is what? 1.1, meters per second. That is, that's not helping you, my back foot. So it's just understanding that actually, but a partial squat might help me limit the more flexion on contact. That's what, what I need. So it's joined up thinking. And uh, just speaking about the... Uh just going back you might have already answered this but this is just sometimes thinking as you were going through so i mentioned earlier about trying to avoid lazy or biased assumptions i've definitely been guilty of this as an snc coach where you see something and you think oh that's a physical limitation whereas you gave an example earlier where is it a case of a bowler who's unable to control the collision or are they purposefully spending longer on the floor yeah. to access a longer stretch shortening cycle again you might have already mentioned this but how do you determine whether, for example, they're deliberately doing it and it's part of their 
style, if that's the right word, or whether it's a physical limitation, we need to address that. Okay, so in simple terms, if they land and don't deform under stress, they're fine, they're, they're strong enough. That is a habit that their system is trying to utilize because more flexion at the knee requires more time, requires more internal rotation. So then they're gonna get a lot more torque. But if they land, it's the angle the back leg arrives pre-contact. If they're already bent and stay that angle, that's fine. Then they're strong enough. It doesn't you don't need to re, they don't need to uh, overload squat anymore. They're strong enough. Uh, and if they land with a lack with not a lot of flexion, uh, and they keep that angle, they're hip dominant. They're good. Keep going with it. But if they land, whether they're knee or hip, and sink again, that is a physical limiting factor. Then you then need to identify whether that's uh, eccentric uh, deficiencies or isometric. So what I say, if they land and sink, that's eccentric, unable to control the collision. Uh, but if they land um, and unable to pivot and a, a long time on back foot contact, then that's a lack of the isometric strength. So it's what they do. So it's what they do after collision. Well, what they is one for you. I've just thought of this. What what they do pre-collision will determine their dominance, and what they do after collision will determine their limitation. Absolute gold, absolute gold. And just going back to what you said about plane specific, I don't know whether you've ever. Um, I'm sure you've come across Eric Cress's stuff, but something that he, I think it was mentioned in one of the podcasts he was on. Um, was that they found very limited correlations between sagittal plane power and the speed at which the guys could pitch at. Um, do you have any, I suppose, obviously you're blessed to have the equipment you've got, but do you have any thoughts as to, I suppose, a cheap alternative to assessing rotational power in your guys? Um, well, so I've got um, a ballistic ball. So we have a medicine ball that measures... Uh, meters per second so that's one method uh, i've done some um 1080 stuff with it as well um, but ultimately and that's what more and more i'm i'm finding out is that some bowlers may run in quicker some bowlers might have uh faster trunk rotation some bowlers might have arm speed but the genuine fast bowlers top performance have a bit of all of them and, and that and and it becomes then about technique you know and it's funny when i do these podcasts i, I also think about stuff as well and, and that is where i'm at at the minute because it's about the sequencing of it and it's about the efficiency it's about the ability to use that fascia system we have in the right sequence at the right time at the right speed and that looks effortless. And that looks Joffre Archer. You know, that that people people say, and he is goldest, absolute goldest. Uh, I'd watch him bowl every day. It makes it look so easy. And you can go back to any sports, you know, you can go back to Ronaldo with football. You look at the stuff that he does, it's like, what? How can you do that? And makes it look so easy. And I'm going back to someone like a Jason Robinson in rugby. My, uh, he could just, he could sidestep, still moving flat out. 
but it was about the grace, the efficiency, the effortless movement. So it's not about having high numbers in one of them. It's about having decent numbers at all of them at the right time, I think. Because I've had bowlers, rotation. Like, I, I could throw a rotation, a, a ballistic ball, faster than anyone now. Anyone here? I, I could do it. Arm speed, it's okay. But then my ground contact time, because I'm a heavy old lump, is, is a little slower now. So I know that is going to be a limiting factor, and I run in slower. But the bits of it, some bits are really good at. It's the combination of all of them, and it's that tornado, which I put a post on. It's that tornado going in the right direction in the right plane, because you get some tornadoes that have to be tilted, or and some tornadoes where just lose energy everywhere, and it's just a combination of everything. And I think that's a perfect way of, uh, I suppose, wrapping up how we probably both view strength and conditioning. I think in textbooks, it'll be like, right, you've got to do the general stuff and then you've got to do more specific and then slightly, and it's like, it's not like that. It's, as you said, for example, it could be that more speed is going to let me do better strength work or more yeah. technical work will allow me to do more, you know, general work or however you want to phrase yeah. it. Um, and just in wrapping up as an aware, this is like your third podcast on the bounce. Um, <laughs> three questions to finish with. Um, the first one is one I love asking coaches. If you could observe one person working with their athletes, uh, who would you choose to observe and why? Uh, ooh, that's a tough one for me to, I got a few actually. So yeah, I'm going to yeah, I'm gonna, Christian Thibodeau, how he gets athletes strong. No, he got Pascal Coran, I think the bobsled athlete, ridiculously strong by doing the Canadian ascending, descending complex. See, I got, I know every training method going because I've tried them all. Uh, Franz Bosch, the way he looks at stuff, uh, the intricacies of there and the dynamic complex system. Uh, Chris Corfist, uh, Stuart McMillan, you know, these guys, top top of the field you know and I'm good friends with Jonas Dodu I'm going to spend some time with him he's another one but um, Bondichuk obviously yeah Derek Averly um, so let me go back a bit so I asked Derek Averly a question once about general strength I wasn't sure where to put where to put an exercise I said so where does this go then is this specific development specific prep or general uh, and, I, and, I, and he came back to me and he said, well, by you asking that question straight away, he tells me it's not that important for your program. And I, and I thought, Do you know what? Absolutely. I know where it sits now. <laughs> so those are the coaches. And uh, in terms of uh, one key resource to recommend to listeners, it could be a podcast, it can be an app, it might be a bit of training kit you use. Uh, what would be your one recommended resource? Oh, I, yeah, that's it. The track, uh, I'm going to give loads again, sorry. No, uh, go for it. The Track and Field Consortium, that's a great resource. Um, Altis Foundation, the Altis Need for Speed course, which I was involved in anything with Chris Corfis, the Simply Faster website, anything with Christian Thibodeau's uh, writing is outstanding. No, Triphasic, Carl Dietz, Matt Van Dyke, EdgeU is an awesome resource um, with uh, Max Schmazo. 
and uh, Paul, uh, I forget his surname, uh, those are excellent resources. Unbelievable. And uh, finally, if you had one key take home for the listeners, so athletes, coaches, maybe cricket coaches or players, what would that be? Do what works for you. Like that, that is really important. Don't follow the, don't, don't be a sheep and follow the norm. You know, actually stick your head up the parapet now and again and go, is that right for me? And be, be respectful about it. Don't openly criticize your coach. Just understand, is that right? Why is it right? And how am I going to improve it? Just have the knowledge to um, have the ability to ask these questions. Yeah, and don't take uh, don't take something for gospel just because no. uh, I don't know if there's a name for the specific type of bias, but when you hear, I mean, I guess guru bias, if that's even a thing, but when you hear something from someone that you perceive to be cleverer or more experienced than you it's very easy to think well so and so said it so it must be right yeah and, and like I, I go back to what i said earlier like each system each coach education has come from one person has come from the opinion of one person and what's to say that one person was right and that's all i'll say perfect that's a great place to leave it Stefan. Uh, thank you very much for your time pleasure man enjoyed Thank you for listening to episode 43 of the Platform to Perform podcast with today's guest, Stefan Jones, and myself as always, Todd Davidson. If you've enjoyed the podcast, I'd love it if you could leave us a review via your preferred podcast platform and share it with a coach, teacher, or athlete that you feel would benefit from listening. If you want to go one better than that and you're in a position to support the podcast, why not head over to www.patreon.com forward slash Todd Davidson P2B coaching. In exchange for supporting the podcast, you'll receive exclusive access to all of the educational strength conditioning content I've delivered via my Patreon, which includes programs, my calisthenics kids lessons, and educational strength and conditioning content that is available only via this platform. Thank you very much for tuning in to today's episode, and I'll catch you again soon.